We're reading the book of Acts because uh, I believe that if we have new actions, new acts, this will be indeed a new year. The, the only thing that differ, that's different does not need to be the number that we write on our check. Uh, we just want a new year. And if we pray like we've never prayed before, if we, you guys have heard me say this, if we pursue God like we never have before, uh, this will be a new year. So new acts, new year. Let's dive right into it. Um, we're going to be reading in the book of Acts chapter five, verse number one. And uh, it reads like this. There was a certain man named Ananias uh, who with his wife, Sapphira, sold some property. He he brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit. You kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell. As you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. Now, I have heard this story many times. I'm a preacher's kid, so I've heard it uh, more than more times than I can count. And, and I've always kind of been at a quandary of why did Ananias lie about it? You know, if you sell the property for a thousand bucks, um, come back and say, hey, I sold it for a thousand and, and uh, I want to give a couple hundred bucks to the church and just leave it at that. Uh, it was yours. Why'd you lie? It wasn't that big of a deal. Now, if you keep on reading, as soon as Ananias heard these words, He fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Just a few hours later, his wife shows up. They ask the same question to her. She tells the same lie. She dies. I'm like, my goodness. What in the world? Why not just tell the truth? It wasn't mandated. You got to sell everything. No. But here's the deal. I got to thinking about it. In chapter four, don't read it now. Read it when you get home. In chapter 4, there was a guy named Barnabas. Well, he sold some of his property, and he brought all of the money, and he gave it to the disciples and said, hey, give it to whoever needs it. What I think happened, of course, I wasn't there, but let's just connect some dots here. Barnabas was known as the son of encouragement. He was the guy that when you come walking, he's like, girlfriend, did you get your nails done? Oh, look at it. He was was like, what's up? He was the encourager. He was the one that noticed everything. Ladies, when you get your hair done, do you come walking out and you're like. And of course, us guys, we're about as dumb as a box of rocks. Why are you looking at me so funny? Well, do you notice anything different? Oh, please don't ask that question to any guy ever again. I'm speaking for all the men in the room. (laughs) If we woke up with one eyebrow gone, we wouldn't know it, okay? (laughs) 
It's like, it's just not our thing, you know? And so it's just kind of like, uh, why did I bring that up? Now I don't even know what I'm talking about. Barnabas, thank you. Barnabas was the guy, he would notice your hair. There we go. You see how we went all the way around the barn on that one? He was the encourager. He was the one that was uplifting. And I think that Ananias looked at, the bar, at Barnabas and was like, man, this guy is so full of encouragement. He loves God. He's got this vigor. He's got this excitement in him. And the church was a community of people. They were all sharing everything. They were sharing food, they were sharing clothes, sharing finances, helping each other pay bills. There was this level of joy. And I think Ananias looked at them and was like, man, I like that. I like, I want to be a part of this. I, I like it. And, but there is a, a principle and point number one, I've got four. The principle is this, is invest. You have to. If you see something that someone else has, you have to be willing to do what they've done. And they have this level of joy. They have this level of peace. They have this level of excitement. And, and he wanted to have it. And, and I just want to say, I, I can't go back in time to talk to their church and, and, and talk to their community. But I, I can talk to ours. I know what you guys want because you want the same thing I do. You want your relationship with God to not be one of those relationships that you think, God, is that you or is that me? Is that me or is that you? You, you want your relationship to God with God to be when he speaks, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that's his voice. Is that what you want? Yeah. Am I right? You don't want to play guessing games anymore. You just want to know what his voice sounds like. No more guessing. Right? You want to have a kind of relationship that when you pray for somebody, you know that if God wants it, yes, no, or wait, you know. There's no guessing. Like, like Paul prayed this prayer one time. He says, I asked the Lord three times that he would take this thorn out of my flesh. Nobody knows what that thorn was. And, and, and he said, no, because his strength is sufficient. When I read that, I'm like, three? <laughs> Whoa, you asked three times? I asked three times in an hour. I asked 47 times in a day. But he had a relationship with God that he, he just, it was this communication. Even though he couldn't see him, it was so personal. It was so real. He knew God's answer when he asked, isn't that what we all want? Are you with me? Is this what we all want? Ananias wanted that kind of relationship, but he wasn't willing to go all in. What does all in? Does that mean he needed to give all his money? No, he just needed to say, be honest. Hey, I'm gonna give you a hundred bucks and just leave it at that. Be honest, be transparent. Don't pretend to be one thing and not another thing. Just be all in with God. You know, I'm reading this book right now written by uh, Charles Finney. Uh, he's one of the greatest preachers that America has ever had. And uh, he was talking about the apostle James. James lived centuries ago in the days of Jesus. And when they buried James, they noticed 
that his knees, they didn't know this about him because he wore a long robe, but they noticed that his knees were all calloused. And they backed up and, and every time they referred to him from that moment forward, they referred to him as camel knees because his knees were like camels. And they talked about how James would get down on his knees and he would pray so often that his knees were like camel knees. And I was reading this book by Charles Finney and, and he says it just like this. I'm going to quote him. He says it like this. He goes, Oh, so that's the secret that the early church followers had. It's almost like, and, and Charles Finney lived around 1876 when he wrote this book, and, and his, it's almost like he's thinking what we're thinking. He's thinking, how in the world did you guys have a relationship with God like that? And then finally hears about camel knees. He's like, ah, that's the secret. Now I know what the secret is. They invested their whole life in prayer. And these are the stories that come from that. I would say back to us. Ah, we know the secret of want, if the relationship that you and I want. It always circles back around to just praying. It's not fancy. It's not, it, it's, it, it, thousands of years have gone by and it's still praying. Preachers that preached 2,000 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 100 years ago, it, that, the messages have changed, faces have changed, cities have changed, but the message is still the same. It all revolves, your entire relationship revolves around praying and it will never change. So what we have to do is we got to back up and say, it's going to require investing. Now, does that mean that you have to uh, just change your entire life? No, we change our entire mindset. And we just pray in our head, pray in our heart. If you go to church here, you've heard me say this a thousand times. We just don't ever stop. But there's certain distractions that come along. I think Ananias, I believe that he was pursuing a good thing. He just got tricked. See, in the Bible, Peter said this. He said, how did you allow Satan to trick you, to come into your life? How did, you, how did that happen? You know, I, I feel like, just before I go to point number two, I, I feel like there are, are three sub-points underneath invest. And it, it, and it is the three common traps that I feel like you and I face Every day, every day, all of us face three common traps. And the first one is conflicts. I mean, every day there's a conflict somewhere, somehow with somebody. If you can leave the house in the morning without a conflict, it's almost like we want to stop and celebrate. Some of us on the way to church here this morning, there was a conflict. <laughs> praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Are oh, we going to finish this? Don't, don't. <laughs> How 
many times, see, when you're a parent, you learn to yell under your breath. I'm going to beat you so hard. I'm going to beat you so you, you do that. You do that. Praise the Lord. It's like there's conflict just leaving the house. And if you can leave the house without a conflict, you can almost bet a dollar to a donut. Somebody on the highway is going to wave to you with one finger. Before you even get to work. And then as soon as you walk in, there's always going to be somebody. There's conflict everywhere. Are you with me? So here's, here, this is the first trap. And you know what I like? In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, it, Paul says it like this. We are not ignorant of the schemes of the enemy. I know what you're doing. It's Paul saying, you, come on, come on, man. You know how he... Can't we all just be honest for a minute? There is nothing that the enemy does where we're like, oh, I can't believe he did that. <laughs> there is, we know what he's up to. And Paul says, you know how he works? And I'm saying he works through conflicts, through conflicts. And there's a scripture in the Bible in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. It says, anger gives a foothold to the enemy. Now, here's the deal, folks. I'm not going to have my church mask on this morning. I'm Italian. That's hard. It's hard being me. It's hard being me because I'm passionate. And so now the Bible's saying that anger gives a foothold to sin. Well, uh uh-oh. That means my life is a playground for the devil. Because it's just passion, just passion. And so there, I just want to say, it is okay to get into an argument. Jesus got into an argument all the time. It is okay to get into a heated discussion. But there is a razor's edge between being in a heated discussion and arguing and giving a foothold. You know what a foothold is? It's like if you try to climb a tree and you put your foot on a branch, and you're like, yeah, I can put my foot, I can get some weight on there. You get your, and, and you jump up and you put your foot, that's, that's what a foothold is. It, you can get into a heated exchange without giving the enemy a foothold into your life. Now, here's how you know the difference. Are you ready? This is, is going to be good. Are you ready for this? This is going to be good. All right, here we go. This is how you know the difference on whether or not Satan is getting a foothold while you're mad versus you just being mad. Ready? You know Satan is getting a foothold when the person you're mad at is not there and you're talking to him in your head. (laughs) Are you with me? Are you with me? You know what I'm talking about now? And you're building your case. You're driving in the car and you're arguing in your head, coming up with bullet points, preparing a conversation that you're going to have when you see them next. Do you know what I'm talking about? And you're like, one of them. And then when you see that person, you try to set it up to go exactly like you prepared it in your head and it never goes that way. It's like, I wasn't ready for you to say that. 
That's how you know. You say, well, how do you know? How do you know that's the devil? Well, this is it. Jesus, in, in the book of Matthew chapter 18, read it when you get home. Jesus tells a story about a guy who received a lot of forgiveness. And then he had somebody serving him, and he gave him no forgiveness. And Jesus tells this guy, because you gave no forgiveness, when you wanted forgiveness tormentors are released into your life. Now, what are tormentors? Let me give you a word picture. Imagine I'm holding um, like four pit bulls on four leashes in this hand and four pit bulls on four leashes in this hand. And they're like, and they're wanting to attack you. And I'm, and I'm holding them back like this. And there's eight of them. And they're wanting, and, and God's protection around you Satan can't let go of them. You just, you're walking in peace. But when we stop forgetting, forgiving, and we've crossed that line between being mad and now we're letting the devil get a foothold, you know it because hell releases the tormentors. And now we're tormented. We're in our house by ourselves. Well, when I see her next, I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to let her know. We're being tormented. You're in the car driving. They're not even there. They could be in San Antonio, and you're thinking about them. I'm going to let her know. I'll give her a piece. Nobody's going to talk to me like that. Tormented. So when the tormentors come, we can back up and go, Oh, you little rascal. You got me in that trap again. There's conflict but not giving him a foothold. So that's the first one, is, is that there's conflict. So the next time conflict comes up, we just back up and go, I know what's happening here. And then what do we do in that point? We have to, we have to do the next right thing. Now, I know what you're saying. I don't want to do the next right thing. Now, here's what some of us are thinking. I don't want to do the next right thing because I'm always the one who does the next right thing. I would like for one time for them to apologize first. I don't want to do the next right thing. You do the next right thing just one time. Anyone? I'm kind of speaking good this morning, right? Just one time. Let me encourage you, okay? Because when conflict comes up, you're going to have this decision to make. You're going to feel the tormentors. You're going to be hearing them. You're going to be trying to block it out of your head. Man, this is good preaching. You're going to try to block it out of your head. You're going to try to fight it. And then you're realizing the only way to settle down those dogs is just to go make peace with this person. And then it's like... And now you got this decision because I don't want to, but I want to apologize second. And then you, or then you're like, I'm going to apologize, but I'm going to make my point clear. <laughs> and you, you, you show up to make your apology with the great eraser. That's what I call it. The great erasers. And whenever you say, I'm sorry, but you just erase everything. You just got to come in. Just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Isn't it frustrating when someone says, I'm sorry, but had you not. You know, that's not a good apology. And so you say, oh, I'm going to have to go apologize. Now, here's the deal for any of us here that when we're facing conflict and there's just that internal struggle because you don't want to be the one. 
I'm going to encourage you with the best scripture in the Bible for this situation. The Bible says this, that God says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they are my sons. In another version of the Bible, it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they're my children. And so when you bite your lip and you want to be right and you want to make your point, you just back up and just realize that God is looking at you saying, that's my girl. She's always got to do the right thing, but you know what? That's my girl. That's my boy. Can someone say that's good? The next thing, uh, I, now I'm just going to spend just a few moments on this one as well. The next thing is Comparison. I tell you what, ladies, I feel worse for you because you can't even go to the, 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 the checkout stand at Kmart without seeing 47 magazines of people that have been airbrushed. It's like, geez. And there's this constant comparison, comparison, comparison. And us guys, we, we compare different things. You know, how much money does that guy make? How much money, how old is he? And how much money does he make? And how old is he compared to how old am I? And where am I at in life? And where are they at in life? And you just, there's this comparison. And I just want to say, comparison is poison. And, and I'm talking to me as much as I'm talking to you right now. Don't. Drink the poison. Don't drink it. Because if we compare down, we get arrogant. If we compare up, we get discouraged. And we never know. You never know when your life is all of a sudden going to build momentum. You know, I'm spending too much time on this, but I feel like the Holy Spirit wants me to. Do you know when at a high school track, if they're going to race, six people are going to race around the track and they're going to race one lap on your mark, get set. And there's six different lanes and there's six people. They stagger them. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, raise your hand. You ever notice that? Like at the Olympics, they stagger them. One guy is way out in front and the other guy's way out behind in, in the back. You know why? Because the inside loop is, small, is a smaller circle than the outside loop. So the only way to keep it fair is they have to stagger them. So now it's the same distance around. And so when the gun goes off, pow, and they start. Well, for the first few minutes while we're watching the Olympics, we don't know who's winning. But as soon as they turn that corner, everything changes. The guy who looked like he was losing may be winning. I just want to say, you don't know when you take your corner. You may take your corner at 59. What happened? You may take your corner at 41. You may take your corner at 29. You don't know. But if we're so drunk on comparison that we get discouraged and down and in the dumps, 10 years go by of wasting it, little do we know if we can just say, I'm not going to drink this bottle. Let somebody else drink and get drunk on comparison. I'm going to say laser focus on what God's called me to do because I don't know when I'm going to take my corner. Are you with me? You don't know. The last trap is compromise. Now, I'm going to just hit this point real fast and move right along. And I'm going to tell you why. Because I get awkward when I talk about this next subject. And I get awkward 
because you make me awkward. Every time I bring up anything around this point, I feel everybody go, and I feel, and so we all feel awkward. So I'm going to hit it because Jesus talked about it more than anything else. And then I'm just going to move right by. So you don't have to hold your breath long. Are you guys ready? Some of you are like, not ready. Just skip it, bro. Compromise. There's two things that we compromise the most. And that's our tithe and our time. The Bible says that the first 10% of every dollar we make is supposed to go to the church. Our time, David said, early I will rise in the morning and seek your face. I don't know if you're ready for truth this early, but chances are many of us in this room will give anything. Just don't jack with my money and don't jack with my time. Don't jack with my money and don't jack with my time. Ed Young Sr. pastors the fourth or fifth largest church in America. He's down south Houston, he's a phenomenal pastor. I can speak well of him because he's too far for you guys to go to his church. (laughs) But he's got, I don't know, he's got 40 years on me or something like that. And, And he said something I'll never forget. He said, the most faithful people in my church come twice a month. And as a young pastor, I just went, man, I'm so glad he told me that. Because I don't, I don't want to have an expectation that's not there. In other words, going back to my point, look, I'm going to be here when I can be here and be happy when I'm here because I almost didn't come. And as far as my money is concerned, I'm going to give what I feel like I can afford and be happy with it. I just want to say that when you don't tithe, you're saying, God, I feel like the way I manage my money is going to be more profitable for me than the way you're telling me to manage my money. And I just want you to know, I promise you, you give God one quarter. If, if you are not doing better, stop. Stop. I've never met one person in my life tithe and then back up and go, man, that was stupid. <laughs> never. Never. So do it for one quarter. And then as far as time is concerned, you know... I would like to encourage you. Not only do I think we all need to come to church, and just so you know, don't feel convicted. There's 52 Sundays out of the year, and last year I think I went to 44 of them. So we're never all going to go to 52 Sundays. The point is, is to keep laser focused that my time is yours. And if you don't want to pray first thing in the morning, then make it the first appointment you schedule in your tomorrow. Does that make sense? It's the first thing you schedule. Tomorrow at four, I'm going to be praying and I'm not going to be late for that appointment. Uh, Tomorrow at two, do you know sometimes I tell people, look, man, I'm sorry. I got to go. I've got an appointment. I got to go. I can't be late. Everybody who knows me knows I don't like being late. I got to go. And sometimes I'm going to pray because my appointment's with God. It's none of their business who my appointment is with. Someone say amen and mean it. Amen. It's none of their business what you're doing, right? It's your life. That's a different sermon. I almost want to preach it, but I'm not. (laughs) Point number two. If we're going to invest, let's invest together. I'm going to go through these last three pretty quick. 
In Acts chapter 5, verse 12, people who were not Christians looked at the believers and they looked at them like this. They admired them. But the Bible says that they wouldn't join them out of fear. Do you know why people are afraid to pray every day? Because if they pray every day and nothing happens, what do we do with that? See, now we're going to get real. Can we get real? If I pray every day and nothing happens, now what do I do? I'd rather just tell God I love him, leave it at that. I don't want to set myself up for disappointment. In fact, I just feel like I'm supposed to say this. I prayed for something to happen one time and it didn't. See, people don't have a problem with God saying no to prayers. They usually have a problem with God saying no to that prayer. Are you with me? This is what I'd like to say. I've got a couple prayers that to this day, I'm kind of ticked I didn't get a yes. I've talked about them many times before. This is what I'd like to throw out there to you. There is a scripture that says, you have not because you ask not. So are we going to forego the rest of the blessings in our life because we're hung up on a no? Or can we back up and say, I got a no. I'm kind of ticked about that no. But there are certain things that God wants to give me that I'm not going to get unless I ask. And so I'm going to keep on asking. I'm going to keep on asking. The second thing I want to say is this. God says, I will reward those who diligently seek me. For those of you that just keep on praying, I'm going to reward you. So let's take this attitude. I don't know how you're going to reward me. You may allow me to win the lottery. You may transfer my boss, which would rock. I don't know how you're going to reward me. But you said you would. So rather than me holding a list here saying, God, I want you to do these things for me, I am going to ask you for things because you want me to ask. But here's the deal. I'm going to seek you because I want to be close to you, and I'm going to secretly be going, I wonder how he's going to reward me. Do you know whenever we get upset about comparison, it's usually because we're worried we're not going to get blessed. Like, let me give you an example. Isaiah, why don't you stand up? If Isaiah showed up this Sunday with a Ferrari out on the driveway, Frankie, look what I got. I'd look at him and go, I pay you. (laughs) I know how much I pay you. How, how, How did you get that Ferrari? I'm happy for you, but there's a little part of me I'm a little ticked. And so you can go ahead and sit down. He says, oh, you know what, Frankie, I filled out one of those cards and I put it in the box at the mall to win a free Ferrari, and I won. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) Happy for you. There's a little comparison, a little bitterness. Some of you are like, dude, what kind of pastor are you? God's not done working on me. Now, here's a different scenario. Bill Gates comes walking in. Says, Frankie, I don't know what it is about you. I like you. Tomorrow, Monday at noon, I'm going to show up with a brand new car. It's yours. I'm not going to tell you the year, make, and model. But 
I mean, I'm going to tell you this. It's going to be over six digits. It's a nice one. Really? Bill! Give it up, Bill! I'm going to throw my iPhone away right now. Blackberry all the way. Bill Gates, you rock. Love you, man. Love you. Now Isaiah shows up and says, hey, man, I got a brand new cherry red Ferrari. Really? That's awesome. Let's go check it out. Now I'm not mad. Now I'm not jealous. Because I just got done talking to Bill. I'm getting mine. I'm getting mine. So anytime we get a little discouraged that our life isn't going at the same pace as someone else, the real issue is we're just worried we're not going to get ours. But if we knew that God was going to take care of us, then hey, awesome Isaiah, sweet. Let's meet tomorrow. Let's compare cars. Let's roll. Let's ride. Let's have fun. Let's put our hats on backward and go crazy. I'm happy now. Right? So the real issue is, is not that I don't want you to have yours. I'm just worried I'm not going to get mine. And that's where the relationship comes full circle all the way around to worship and to pray. And Ananias, I want to look at Ananias and say, look, man, stop half-stepping your relationship with God. Go all in. Let's invest together. I promise you, God is going to stay true. The only people that are disappointed in their relationship with God are the people that are halfway in. That was good, Dwayne. Let me uh, share this, point number three. Absolutely, absolutely. Point number three. In Acts chapter five, verse 17 and 18, let me read it to you. It reads like this, really cool set of verses. The high priest and his officials who were Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in a public jail. You know, uh, I believe that Peter was probably sitting there in jail completely perplexed. He's doing everything he knows how to do. And now he's sitting in jail. I just want to brace us. I mean, brace us. And I hit this point all the time. We all hit it. Peter hit it. Everybody's going to hit it. Even Jesus hit it in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's seasons where we don't know what in the world is going on. Jesus was in the garden debating with God. Here's the deal. Now, Jesus knew what was going on, but in a state of anxiety. You know what I call these seasons? I call them the white knuckle anointing. Because these are the seasons where you don't know how long it's going to be. It could be a week. It could be a year. And you just white knuckle it. And you pray and you invest and you pray and you invest. And sometimes it will seem like only things are getting worse. Here's the deal. What else are we going to bet on? 
Jesus looked at Peter when everybody was leaving Jesus and he says, are you going to leave me too? And Peter said, where am I going to go? In other words, I've already tried everything else. That's, that's you and me. It's like, are you going to stop worshiping and stop praying? No, I already lived enough life not worshiping and not praying. It didn't get me very far. So I'm going to just keep on putting my chips on Jesus. It's kind of like if you're on the roulette table and you keep on betting on red, 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 and you lose, 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 lose. Somebody's like, dude, don't go on red anymore. <laughs> you're killing me. And I think we, somebody's just got to come along and just say, hey, we got to invest in Jesus. You got to pray. We got to pray. Well, I'm not a good prayer. Don't lie to yourself. You're an awesome prayer. And the more basic it is, the more fundamental it is, the better you're praying. Last and final point is they were wanting to stop the disciples once and for all because an angel showed up and let Peter out of jail. They were so tired of it. And so all of a sudden, uh, somebody stood up in the courtroom because they were trying to uh, they were trying to arrest him again. They were discombobulated. They didn't know how to punish them. And all of a sudden, somebody said this. They said, "This is my advice: Leave these men alone. Just let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God." You will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourself fighting against God. So this is what they were figuring out, and this is what Peter already knew. And I just want to say, this is what we need to praise. When we have done all we know how to do, we're doing our best. We're not perfect, but we just keep trying to do our best. We fall down a lot, but we keep doing our best. We slip up a lot, but we just keep doing our best. When we are doing that, then we can just rest and just say, Anyone trying to stop a good thing in my life is really fighting, not against me. They're fighting against God. And that ain't going to work. And then just get a good night's sleep and rest. Sometimes we just got to go, everything's going to be okay. Okay. 